welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, a history of the Thirty Years' War. So last time I discussed the fall of Brizak, one of the strongest fortresses in Germany at the time, or at least was reported to be. It was a clear victory. The Imperials humiliated due to the rumors of cannibalism during the siege. We had a whole talk on the issues of historical reporting on events like cannibalism of a town during a siege, and the newly captured city was slated to become the capital of Bernhard's Principality. I also discussed the Emperor's new push to deal with amnesty, trying to resolve the more major internal issues inside Germany, focusing on Wolfenbüttel and the Gulefs, which resulted in a neutral third party who wanted heavy modifications of the Edict of Restitution. Once again, Johann George of Saxony stood up for his old policy, and this new bloc forced both sides' hands to a degree. The Imperials were drawing many of their troops into Benair marching on Saxony. And with that covered, let's get started. Benair was actually able to advance pretty quickly through Saxony, which emboldened him enough to attack the hereditary lands of the Habsburgs, Bohemia more specifically. The security of Saxony and the hereditary lands were limited, and the fact that the hereditary lands could be attacked was not a good look when Ferdinand was trying to get people to join him, or for his cause against the French and the Swedes. It would undermine its efforts to look strong and more imposing, which was important for that look. Benair had gathered around 18,000 troops, marching through Magdeburg by late March 1639, and Macau and Chemnitz fell soon after. He was stalled by the time he reached Friedberg, his main objective being the capture of the silver mines of Johann George, which would be a major boost to any money he could gather for his war chest. As I will note later, 18,000 men would have a hard time pressing all the way to Habsburg land, which would inevitably be drained due to battle, disease, and desertion, on top of just injuries as well. This would all mean he'd have less men by the time he reached there. Being ambitious can be just as risky as being too cautious, so it was a risk, and we'll see how it plays out. But back to Friedberg, the miners had reinforced the town, increasing the difficulty in taking it. They attacked against it, costing Benair 500 men, who couldn't even be buried due to the winter setting in, and the ground getting hard, and just, you know, the usual stuff in winter. But Benair was still the advantage, as the Saxon commander could only muster on 5,000 men, suffering from the weak regiments that I talked about before in earlier episodes. But Benair, realizing the situation, was forced to pull back from Friedberg, the Imperials chasing him to Chemnitz, making a major mistake as Benair turned to face him and beat the Imperials, capturing 1,500 men on April 14, 1639. The general escaped and the Imperials retreated, but the general was court-martialed against Johann George's complaints but that didn't help reform the whole shattered Imperial army, well, Saxon army. And with no major army opposing them at the moment, Benair was reinvigorated and began to march south again, capturing Pina by May 3rd. This opened up Bohemia again, which was relatively minor compared to summer regions. And on a more personal note, it's kind of strange to see Bohemia play this minor role after seeing it be the starter of this whole mess. So with 15,000 men behind him, leaving around 3,000 men to guard his exit, Benair advanced into Bohemia, which hadn't been majorly touched by any battles in five years. Gallus positioned around 10,000 men under Hofkirchen at, at Melnick as the Swedes came from the mountains on May 29th. But the green commander of the Imperials made a tactical error as he led an assault on the Swedes, losing the potential advantage they had. The Imperials took around 1,000 casualties and the other Swedish attacks in the area helped collapse the Imperial line as the Swedes pushed against the Imperial forces. More of Brandenburg was taken by an attack from Pomerania, while the Swedes also advanced up the Oder, beating Mansfield and allowing Silesia to be overrun. These three actions were all bad for the Imperials and showed how the hand of the Hasburgs was far weaker than they were even two years ago, and three points being attacked on the defensive line of the Imperials was not a good thing for them as this was a lot of pressure to deal with. And as we have seen, two fronts create a lot of issues as the Imperials were forced to stretch their men between the French and the Swedes, which meant there was less reinforcements to assist them, especially because the Spanish were only really helping them against the French, if anything. So Germany was on their own. But like I said before, Benair lacked the men to take Prague from the Imperials, and the Emperor was scrambling men to respond. 
The Swedes also lacked discipline, killing a number of people they were not supposed to during the attack on Pina, which included many Bohemian exiles. And partially because of that, when Benair proclaimed he was there to give the Bohemians their freedoms and their land back, very few there took him seriously considering they were looting and raiding and that sort of thing, and killing the wrong people. The Imperials were also gathering an army of 30,000 men from southern Germany to head to Prague under the command of Ferdinand's youngest sibling, Leopold Wilhelm. So Benair, instead of pushing forward and conquering more, decided to ravage the land that he controlled before the army would arrive by July, treating it to the worst looting than any before, hoping to obtinate the Imperials, although that was secondary to just looting, pillaging, and getting resources. But the Saxons were also doing their own diplomacy as this was going on, which the Swedes were not aware of at this time. The Gulefs had been pressing for an alliance with Hessen Castle, and it was signed by Melander, a Hessen commander, on April 1639. This expanded the neutral network, and this new alliance opened talks with Saxony, along with contacts with the Swedish, Imperial, and Bavarian forces. And they presented Bernhardt with the command of this third army, but as we know, Richelieu was very insistent on making sure he had the advantage. Bernhardt did currently have more men than this new alliance proposed, but he was also having issues providing for his new army and supplying it, and was forced to attack French Comte in January. He easily defeated the peasants guarding the area, and spent the next six months pillaging it. This only emboldened him, as he wanted to be more than France's German recruitment officer. He demanded Alsace, Breskau, and the Bishopric of Bissell for his principality, and this would make sense that he would press this demand, considering he was doing a lot of work to hold the front line, even though France was giving a good number of troops and money. I mean, they're giving everyone who was out of their money, but the point still stands. France certainly was using him, as a buffer, but I got the feeling Richelieu wasn't exactly happy with this full pressing against him. It was funny that this ambition of his meant that any negotiations with this new third faction of the Gulefs and the Hessen castles would be impossible. The third faction wanted a peace. They wanted to deal with the whole, the Edict of Restitution and that whole thing, but Bernhard wasn't interested as he wanted to have his own principality and that would require war to make it viable slash his new principality would require ratification under a treaty to justify. As a lot of the territory gains that are happening right now are de facto under control of certain people, but they aren't legally under the control of them. They're just conquered territory. Bernhard even threatened to negotiate with Sweden and rejoin them if France wasn't going to give him what he wanted, and France certainly was probably contemplating what to do about the situation, but that came to a swift end with his death on January 18th, 1639. The disease had been spreading in French comp, and once he knew he was dying, he named a few of his commanders to act as directors of his army and land. Bernhard's death was another death of the skilled commander in the war, and while we know he wasn't faultless and often his big risks backfired on him, he did also pull out wins like the ones we recently saw. He was a loss for the Swedish and French cause, but disease and death were an inevitability for him. He did not have any children to inherit this land, and control of this territory would be given to somebody else, but that will be covered later. I think Bernhard really represented and highlighted the fact that there were a few independent armies in Europe that were very important, that were not necessarily on anyone's side, even though Bernhard really was on the French side, he was technically his own independent force. The Hessians, Bernhard, and the Gulefs were all influencing the fighting through actual fighting or just not getting involved, as the Gulefs and the Hessians meant that was a barrier for the Imperials and the Swedes in fighting. The Emperor even tried to get Melander and the Snow Lion to join him, using the offer of a position in the Imperial Court, as well as try to appeal to his German and patriotism. He had to do this because Melander had enough men to make forcing his hand impossible, since only around 9,000 men were in Westphalia since the forces had been taken from there to deal with Benair and Bohemia, which, you know, actions of consequences and certain things going on in other parts of the war will influence other things. I will say, not being able to use force to push your objectives must have been frustrating for the Emperor, and this wasn't the only person or group he was trying to court, as diplomacy wasn't necessarily going to win, and he really wanted to have some sort of force to at least act as some level of threat to keep 
people on their toes. He did try to send emissaries to Bernhard's directors to try to get them to defect, offering that Bernhard's body escorted to Weimar with full honors. It was a generous offer, but also, to me, showed hints of desperation to allow an enemy a full burial with military honors, even though he was a traitor. Sweden and France had to react to this, especially Sweden, who had already lost a good chunk of their officer corps with the reduction in Scottish officers. Oxenstierna sent a commander with 5,000 men to help coerce the Gulefs, as those troops could be used to reinforce the Swedes when they would need them, inevitably, as we can already tell. Again, they lacked the numbers to really force the hand of the Gulefs, and didn't get the results the Swedes wanted, so the Swedes tried to raid into Bamberg, Wurzburg, and Kolmbach, which were the first raiding to Franconia since 1634, which does count for something, that they still had enough power to do this raiding. And the representatives sent to Bernhard's army faced more difficulty than expected, getting stopped when Duke Wilhelm and Ernst feared Swedish repercussions if they went through their lands. So he was forced to leave with nothing and head back, evading Swedish cavalry sent to capture him. France then moved to try to prevent anyone from making a move, securing the Hessian army for themselves by raising the pay of the troops and from a lander, who was additionally rewarded with being named the second in command of France's German troops. France even fortified their status with Amelie Elizabeth, who was paid 20,000 talers. The only term that she asked was it be kept secret until the treaty with Sweden was ratified, as it would threaten the neutrality if people knew she was being paid by France. And more comedically, Carl Ludwig tried to get Bernhard's army under his command, but he was quickly arrested by the French as he crossed through the country incognito. Not well enough, apparently, and his plan was thwarted, though we all know it wouldn't work anyways as he barely had anything to offer at that point. But France was not only able to cure the Hessian forces, but also Bernhard's men, and territory for themselves, as an agreement was formed by October 9th. They would become France's German army and were dedicated to restore and stabilize German freedom. Once again, nice slogan, probably not the truth. France is interested in themselves in the grand game of politics. The land was now France's legally, at least in terms of conquest. It wasn't Bernhard's anymore, but Erlock was able to remain the governor of the land. And with two armies gone, with one remaining, that army still kind of stubbornly held on. Ferdinand had realized that, so instead of trying diplomacy, he moved the force, had given the elector of Cologne Hildsheim already, and gave Hatzfeld permission to use force to get the Gulas to join the Imperial Army. Piccolomini had already brought 15,000 men from Luxembourg to assist him, which caused Johann George to tighten up the defense pack on November 9th, Melander breaking the truce to conquer Bielefelds. This concentrated the Imperials on the eastern bank of the Rhine, which former troops of Bernhard took advantage of, even though they were tired. It wasn't a true offensive, but it more put pressure on the Imperials, who were trapped in a complex problem as they were forced to deal with two armies that could be arrayed against them. France also wanted to support the Hessians and move troops to protect mine, occupying the Westerwalds, which was to the rear of the gathering Imperial army. Fernand did know the threat of the French crossing the Rhine, so he authorized attacks against them in December, which pushed the French back over the river, the French ultimately settling in at Hagnau and Brissac. But Fernand wanted to resolve the issue with the Gulefs diplomatically if possible, and he had hope, and he held out hope that some of Bernhard's officers would defect and join him. He offered an open pardon to anyone willing to join him, to encourage them to throw off the yoke of the outsiders. It was ambivalent to how much people supported either side in this, although there was doubt on the French for their claims of freeing the Germans, as that freedom would cost more blood, and people knew that. A colonel, a colonel even said to an, an agent at Mines about the French opposing a true peace, and I quote, The devil take anyone who picks up a sword or pistol to fight his imperial majesty. They, the colonels, are all tired of war. Unquote. That quote certainly shows that there was a lot of issues, but the real issue here was was money, like always. Richelieu was still worried enough to have the officers of Bernhard reaffirm their allegiance, as well as show more respect to them to avoid any defections. Basically, France was able to provide a more stable amount of money at even higher amounts of money, so pay was much more reliable even if they were bankrupting themselves too. They just hadn't been dealing with it for over a decade at this point. So overall, the French and by extension the Swedes won the diplomacy of armies, as two of them were out of reach of the Imperials, and two had joined the French, and another was not 
not budging. Time would tell how this would influence the war, but Ferdinand was getting a noticeably worse position over time, as France was pushing further and further into Germany, either through force or through diplomacy. France now had a bridgehead that was completely under their control, and they would only be pushing further. But that is it for today, and next time, the war moves north as we move into 1640. I want to thank you all for listening, and I want to thank you all for listening. Social media links will be in the description box or on the links themselves. You can email me at 3DECOT at gmail.com. Reminder that I have a Patreon. Thank you for those who support me, and please review and spread the word, and I'll see you guys next time. Thank you.